Today's episode is sponsored by Craftsy. Calling all crafters. Are you ready to dive deep into your favorite crafting projects and learn new techniques along the way? Then it's time to join Craftsy Premium Membership. For only $1.49, you'll receive a full year of access to expert-led tutorials, patterns, and projects in every category you can imagine. With a massive library of resources at your fingertips, you'll be able to create your best work yet and bring your crafting dreams to life. Don't wait. Sign up at CraftsyOffers.com and discover the endless possibilities of Craftsy Premium Membership. Thank you so much, Craftsy. And now here's the show. Welcome to episode 255 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we are talking about Bargello with my guest, Brett Barra. Brett is the founder of Hello Bargello, a brand dedicated to reviving the vintage craft of Bargello for modern makers. Brett is a crafts expert and creative entrepreneur who has been working in the crafts industry for over 20 years. Over the years, she's been a magazine editor-in-chief, a book author, a TV host, a video instructor, a brand spokesperson, a social media maven, a designer, a blogger, and more. Her entrepreneurial spirit has inspired her to start businesses that connect the young, urban folks in her community with the deep tradition of handcrafts. In 2013, Brett founded Brooklyn Craft Company, a modern crafting store and workshop space in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. In Brett's current role as owner of Hello Bargello, she strives to connect the dots between preserving traditional crafts and building a thriving contemporary e-commerce business. Brett Barra, welcome. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. It is great to have you. You're somebody I have wanted to talk to for years, and I'm very excited to learn more about your story. So let's go way back and talk a little bit about where you grew up and what you were like as a kid. (laughs) Um, Well, I grew up in Pennsylvania in a tiny, small town, borderline rural, rural, and my parents were very crafty DIY people. My dad is a carpenter, so he was always building everything, and my mom... um, is very crafty. I always joke that I was crafting in utero because she was <laughs> she was crafting while I was cooking. And I we just we made everything ourselves in our home. That's just the way it was. Like literally my parents were building and making everything. They were, you know, gardening and canning vegetables before the hipsters started doing it. <laughs> they did it, you know, the old school way. And I just grew up uh sewing is such a big memory. My mom was big into sewing and it was like going to the fabric store and flipping through the big books and picking out patterns. And and she would let me pick out my fabric. And then I would be there for the process of watching her make it. And I was just so proud to wear clothes that she made for me. So that was just kind of what um, we grew up doing. And I loved all of it. Um, in eighth grade, I made my boyfriend a cross stitch as a gift. <laughs> it's like that's such a memory for me and really speaks to like, how much I loved my fiber crafts even then and thought it was basically like the greatest expression of love that 
that you could possibly do. What did it look like? Okay. It was four galloping horses that were one color only. They were like in silhouette and it was chocolate brown. And so it was just the silhouette of four galloping horses. So, you know, I can't imagine stitching something in only one color now. I would die of boredom, but. And did I he like it? it? He loved it. <laughs> and you got it framed. I got it professionally framed and he loved it. And he was also an artist and he would like draw me pictures as gifts. And I just think that's such a sweet memory of that's funny. Er- early love and creativity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. So in high school, were you thinking, oh, I want to go to art school or what were you thinking you wanted to do? So um, I was told, now this was early 90s, I was told that um, you could never make a living doing anything creative. And I was a smart kid, so I had to be a doctor or an engineer. It was just anything anyone told me. That was it. I had no concept of <clears throat> art school or design school, like literally no one knew in my town that you could have careers doing those things. Um, and that's actually something I have a lot of like regret about. I wish I had known to go to design school, mm. but um, I actually went to, I thought I was going to be a doctor. So I started out as pre-med, lasted wow. not even one semester, totally bombed. Um, and I always was a good student, but I, I was not a science kid. I was a writing and art kid. So I promptly switched to an English and French major in college and um I moved to New York City right after college graduation, and I started working in magazine editing. So Mm. I quickly pivoted from pre-med and became a magazine editor. Did Um, you have like an internship at magazines? I mean, how did you get a magazine job right out of college? That seems kind of challenging. Yeah, I did. um, I did land a good internship right out of college. I was able to. So my college in Pennsylvania was actually based near um, a pretty good-sized publisher there in Pennsylvania called Rodale Publishing. And they published, they're not, um, they don't exist anymore, but at that time they published Prevention and Men's Health were their big titles. And they had a pretty robust book publishing arm. So through my college connections, I got an internship at Men's Health. And that was based in Pennsylvania, but there was um, a kind of a pipeline from there to New York City. Like so many of the staffers, had lived in the city and then moved there or vice versa. So a lot of my friends were moving to the city after graduation. So I just decided to move to the city with no no job, nothing. I moved in with a friend and I had a list of like my last day of my internship. I walked around the office with my legal pad and just literally went to every person's desk and said, I'm moving to New York. Do you have any um, contacts? And I had a legal page of names and i called them all up. We didn't even really email then. And I just called all these people up and I went on lunches and um, somebody offered me an internship at Details Magazine, which is also no longer around, but was like a really hip, stylish magazine back in the 90s. So I got a position there. That was a paid, they were both paid internships. So they were paid positions out of college. Um, So I had a position. Details was like a men's fashion magazine. Okay, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep, men's fashion. Um, So from there, I made enough contacts that I was just kind of in the magazine publishing industry. So Mm. I I did that for um, like all of my 20s. I was mostly a freelance magazine writer. Um, okay. So, so like finding stories, pitching stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then getting yep. them accepted and then working on the assignment and working with it, the editor. Yeah. Yes. All of that. And mostly for men's and women's magazines. So I mostly did like 
beauty, lifestyle, health, you know, the old cosmopolitan and, um, you know, all those men's and women's magazines. And, and back that, at that time, those magazine jobs actually, those freelance jobs actually did pay like fairly yes. decently. They don't now, but they did then. They did. Yeah. I mean, I absolutely supported myself doing yeah. that for sure. Yeah. Um, and I was very crafty on the side. So I was still like doing my crafts. And when I moved to the city, I started designing handbags. So I had my little like handbag design business. I was running out of my apartment and, um, I made wedding cakes and, you know, I kind of did all these like big creative things on the side, but it was mm. totally just my side thing for fun. Um, and then I finally kind of merged everything and got a job as a crafts editor. So I took Okay. My, so what magazine was this? <laughs> this was at Woman's Day. Okay. Um, they had a whole specials, specials division where they published um, specific subject magazines like you know a lot of cooking and home decorating and then they had some crafts titles so I joined there and I was editing their scrapbooking titles which I was not into scrapbooking but it had enough you know crafty crossover that I got that job um and then they also was this did... in the 90s this was early 2000s early 2000s okay yeah I think this was probably 2002 when I started working All right. There. So scrapbooking boom, tons of scrapbooking yes. stores, people are buying papers and all the stuff. Yeah. All the stuff. Yeah. Um, and then they launched a knit and crochet title. So I edited that one as well. So oh, I was there. That must have been very fun. It was fun. Um, I was, I mean, I was the only crafter there. So I was kind of in my little bubble and no one understood anything I was doing, but it was a great, I mean, that was my foot in the industry. So it was a good, right. you know, intro. Um, and from there, I went to work at Soho Publishing, who publishes Vogue Knitting. And I got a job as the editor-in-chief of a crochet magazine they were launching called Crochet Today. Mm -hmm. So this was in 2005, I think. Um, so I got to launch that magazine and really, like, you know, help mm. come up with the whole concept and worked there running that magazine for, I think, four or five years. Wow, that's very fun to be able to launch a brand new title like that. And were you good at crochet? No, I did not know how to crochet. Oh, wonderful. Okay. <laughs> so lots of uh, learning on your part, like technology yeah. and, and yeah, the whole, the whole situation. Yeah. <laughs> I never, you know, I faked it that I knew how to crochet, but I was faking it. But, I, you know, I could pick it all up pretty quickly. So right. I, you know, I picked it up. And um, it's in, you know, it's hard to find people that have crafting expertise and other specific skills like magazine editing. Yeah. So it was, there wasn't um, always a lot of competition. I mean, there was competition for the jobs, but to find, there weren't a lot of people who really knew the subject mm -hmm. and had the kind of editorial experience. So um, I was able to, you know, kind of get in and I knew I could get myself up to speed pretty quickly, which I did. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's exciting. Okay. So you but had I didn't four know how years. To knit. <laughs> okay. Well, that, you know, I'm Jason. Um, yeah. So you had four years at Soho Publishing. Um, and, and then what happened at the end of those four years? <clears throat> well, um, during that time, I started um, also hosting the TV show that was the companion to the magazine. So there was a PBS TV show called Knit and Crochet Today. Um, mm. So I was also hosting that. And did you feel immediately comfortable doing that? Because I feel like there's a subsection of 
you know, editors um, and crafters who are like really introverted and don't want to be on camera. And that's a horrifying thought. And then there's another section that's like, loves to be on camera and always wanted to, you know, be demonstrating and things like that. Yeah. So I feel like I have a little known type of introvertism, which is that I am introverted around live people, but I'm comfortable on camera. Okay. And so I actually don't, I was comfortable doing it. And I, okay. I actually, I think it's fun. I like being on camera. I like being on set. I didn't mind doing it at all. It was kind of like an exciting new component to add to the job. Um, and I, I still like being on camera. I enjoy kind of teaching on camera and chatting. Mm-hmm. I don't mind. But like, if I'm in a room of 10 live humans, I'm, <laughs> don't, I don't want to speak to them. <laughs> That's funny. It's definitely very different. First of all, you have a scripted role, you know, so it's not like this open-ended question of what's going to happen. It's like, you are the talent, all of these people in this room to support you, and you're all working together as a team to make it happen. And everybody's got a role to play and everybody makes mistakes. So it's a very special sort of setup. Yeah, for sure. Yes, it is very supportive. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was doing that. And then over those years, you know, just made so many contacts in the industry and really, you know, just was fully in the industry and knew so many people from so many companies and all of it. Um, and I was just kind of ready to move on. So I actually decided to leave. I wanted to go freelance and um, I transitioned to just doing um, like client work, basically, and t- taking on projects for different clients and um, that was when I did a lot of the like brand spokesperson stuff and I would like appear, I would do sort of appearances on TV for brands. Like I did a few, you know, morning shows and things like that where I would be representing a brand. I did like a 24 hour, um, uh, what are those sales, <laughs> the selling TV stations? I'm oh, like QVC yes, or HSN. Yes. Okay. Exactly. I did one of those for Singer sewing machines, but it was like okay. A, 24-hour window where I would like rest for three hours and go back on for half an hour and then rest for three, you know, and just sort of like selling their sewing machines. So I was sewing on air and talking about the machine. So I did gigs like that over those Mm -hmm. years and taught a lot of video classes like during the Craftsy era. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. What kind of classes did you teach for Craftsy? So um, all sewing classes. I had a few different sewing classes on there. I did Mm. a handbag design class, um, which was fun because I had had my handbag design business back in the day. And that came full circle where I used all of those skills and and turned it around to teaching people how to sew their own. Um, And I did, I think, like a skirt sewing class. Um, and some others I don't even remember. In its Maybe heyday, it. Craftsy was a great, yeah, Craftsy was an amazing gig in its, in its heyday. Like it was really, it paid well. They treated the talent really nicely. It yes. was a really good um, sort of partnership to have. It was and definitely like probably the best paying gig I ever had in my career as a freelancer, just in terms of like actually yeah. making um, yeah. uh royalties over the years Mm -hmm. and those continued for years i still get royalties from them yeah 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 that was great it was really a certain moment 2012 13 14 in there of um video instruction classes you know being produced yeah exactly Mm -hmm. and i wrote some books in those years and um you know Oh, just designing for brands, crafting brands. Um, I was blogging, all of that. Mm-hmm. What was the like name it, of your blog? 
My blog was called Manhattan Craft Room. Okay. Um, and yeah, um, I stopped blogging a while ago. But I mean, I feel like this was all like right before social media took off. I feel like right. in, retros- in retrospect, when social media hit was when all of this stuff dried up. But yeah. It we didn't really know it at the it. time. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Especially Instagram. I mean, Instagram really changed the game. Yeah. But yeah, this exactly. was right before on the cusp of all of those changes. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then when I stopped getting all those gigs and didn't understand why, um, <laughs> <laughs> took a few years to kind of process it all and learn that like everybody stopped getting those gigs. I feel like during those years, no one was walking around saying like, I'm not getting as much work. I feel like a failure. It's like everyone just sort of kept it to themselves. And a lot of people mm. like went and got another job or did whatever. But I was definitely sort of getting less freelance work. Um, so I decided to try to start a business to make some money because I needed to have money coming in. I was still, I lived in New York City at the time and I was single, you know, supported myself in the city. So it was really no joke to make sure I had to support myself. So um I decided to, I just had this idea to create an event, like a kind of splashy crafting event. So this was early 2013 was when the event launched. I started creating it in late 2012. Um, It was called Brooklyn Craft Camp. And it was just a one day crafting event where we had, um, you know, all these different crafting classes that you could take. And there was like the photo booth and the DJ and cocktails and we had sponsorships and all of that stuff. And it was just sort of, you know, kind of modeled after all of these big, like, um, you know, obviously not as big as like an alt summit kind of thing, right. kind of modeled after those cute, well-curated, fun, mm-hmm. social events. Um, and it went really well. It sold out and we got great sponsors. We got like West Elm as a sponsor and MailChimp and all of these great brands. And um, and I made money and I was like, this is amazing. Like I cracked the code. Like this is my, this is what I'm going to do now. Right, right. Today's episode is brought to you by Craftsy. And here's a message from Craftsy. At Craftsy, we know making. Whether you're new to the handmade life or looking to advance your skills, we have classes for all maker levels and interests. From knitting and sewing to quilting and embroidery, cooking, baking, paper crafts, and more, Craftsy's instructors guide and encourage you, empowering you to turn ideas into realities. And they have an exclusive offer for Craft Industry Alliance podcast listeners. Right now, you can get a whole year of their premium membership for only $1.49. Visit CraftsyOffers.com to sign up, and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. For only $1.49, you'll get a full year of access to over 2,000 premium full-length classes. Take your craft to new levels in the new year. If you're an absolute beginner, Craftsy's instructors help build strong foundations as they teach, setting you up for success and helping you fix mistakes as you go. Their enthusiasm and strong teaching style make learning accessible to all. If you're an experienced maker, make the resolution to improve your skills in the upcoming year. Craftsy's for you too. From perfecting your fondant skills to tackling complex stitches, from eye-catching garden design to next steps in sourdough, Craftsy has advanced classes in all crafts from instructors who are experts in their field. With over 2,000 classes, including downloadable patterns and recipes, Craftsy has a class and a craft for everyone. So visit CraftsyOffers.com today and get a full year of Craftsy premium membership for just $1.49. Don't miss out on 99% off the entire year. Start turning ideas into projects you can be proud of. Get this exclusive offer at CraftsyOffers.com. Thank you so much. And now back to my conversation with Brett. <clears throat> what I actually decided to do was turn that into like a permanent workshop 
business rather than an event-based business. So I rented a space in Brooklyn um, that was um, and built like a workshop space, kind of like a, not really a maker space, more of a workshop space. It was called Brooklyn Craft Company. So we taught um, sewing and art classes and crafting classes and some things that were like traditional technique based, like knitting and machine sewing. And then also a lot of just kind of like whatever trend was cycling through at the time. Like we did glass etching and macrame and weaving and just, you know, kind of whatever people were seeing on their social media, we would create workshops around it. Mm -hmm. Um, So we, um, I had that business for three years. And then in, during that time, actually the first year of that business, I got pregnant with twins. And so my Life changed a lot. <laughs> my work, my work life, my time for working <laughs> changed a lot. So it was a challenging couple of years. Um, and at the end, when my lease was up after three years, I wasn't sure if I was going to stay in business or what I was going to do. But I actually brought on two business partners and we moved to a store. So we turned it into, we kind of like doubled down and we turned it into a store that also had the workshop space because um, we found that when our customers were, you know, after they would complete a class, they would want to buy stuff. They would like, they, right. had, they had learned this new skill and they would want to right. take supplies home with them. And it just really felt like a missing piece of the business model. So we, then we opened a store, which was just right down the street from where we had been, but that the original space wasn't a storefront. Mm. Um, so the store had, it's still, it's sorry, the store is still there. Um, I'm no longer part of it, but I'm jumping ahead in the story. But the store had, um, has um, sewing supplies, lots of fabric, yarn, um, embroidery type of things. And then also just kind of like a smattering of every kind of, you know, modern crafting supplies. Um, and how is that store different? Like when you were conceiving of it um, and moved from the pure workshop space to the store space, how do you feel like it was different from maybe the run of the mill craft store that we might have had, you know, a decade prior? You know what I mean? Like it, yes. it feels like it was more special in some ways. And I wonder what those, if you can pinpoint what those ways were. Well, we definitely um, aimed to be, um, you know, stylish and modern and curated. So um, not just, um, and really, I, I can't even think of an example of like a local craft store, but I I'm mostly think of the big box stores. Um, yeah. And we were really trying to just be kind of way cooler than that and cuter, like, Cuteness was was a huge. Uh, factor. There was a lot of pink, a lot of pink, there was a lot of pink. Yes, and everything had to be cute, and the supply, like everything that we carried, was cute, and it still is. Like if you go in there, it's just like everything is. All the inventory is just. You can't stop ooing and aahing over everything. It was just like cute, you know, just kind of like taking all of the best stuff that you might see on Instagram or on Etsy and kind of curating it and just having all of those brands represented, tons right. of small, small brands and small businesses. Um, and and you need like, a really good eye to be able to do that. In other words, you can't just go through a distributor catalog and no. check off a hundred things. You have to actually like really work to make that happen. Yeah, it really is the curation of kind of um, staying on top of the trends and seeing like who's, you know, who's popular on Instagram and who's making great kits and reaching out to them and, you know, working directly with the small makers. Right. Yeah, that's a big part of it for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Because when you come in there as a customer, you know, you want it to be that special experience. And I'm assuming it's not a huge space given that it's 
in Brooklyn. So you no, want, you know, you, you have to use your footprint well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and when always- you said, sorry, when you said you brought in two business partners, did they buy into the business or like how financially, like f- from a broad standpoint, like how did you like work that? They did buy in. Yeah, it wasn't a huge dollar amount, but we sort of all um, chipped in to um, contribute to funding the new space. And we also took out a business loan. Okay. Um, yeah. And one partner decided to leave after not too long. It kind of just wasn't really working with um, her, you know, other stuff going on. So then there were really two of us that kind of carried it forward. Um, and I decided, so then I started. I started Bargelloing in there, but just totally organically. I was in the Strand, which is a great used bookstore in the in New York City, and I I love to go to their craft section and like check out their used crafts books. Mm-hmm. I once found one of my greatest possessions is a autographed first edition of Martha Stewart's first ever book. Oh my god! <laughs> yes, and I found it there, and it was like, you know a few bucks like they didn't realize what they had mm-hmm. so there were some really good finds there and I was just browsing and I found these books on Bargello and I had never heard of it and I was like here I am a professional crafter fiber crafter and here's a technique I'd never heard of and it just looked really like trippy and interesting so I bought the books I went to Pearl Soho to get materials they carried Appleton's tapestry wool and the um, needlepoint canvas and so I got some supplies and I made. I still have the first piece I made it's on my bulletin board there and I just was like started playing with it and I was just like this is really cool it just was different than anything I'd ever done. Very, very fast. That was like extremely appealing to me. Um, And I just loved the color play aspect of it. And so I started um, just kind of sharing it like on our social media through the store. And then I started teaching a class. Um, Actually, I had been teaching the class already at the old workshop space. And they just, I found that um, people were super interested in it. Like everyone kind of had the same response I had had in the bookstore of just like, what is this thing? I've never seen it. It looks so different and like weird and cool. Um, So it just was getting traction. So I just was kind of doing more and more of it. And then I created a one kit, one Bargello kit for the store that was just sort of like under the Brooklyn Craft Company brand. And we had that one. And um, and then I just was getting so into it that I decided to do a whole little range, like a collection mm-hmm. and named it Hello Bargello. But it was always meant to be um, just like a, a in-store brand of just, you know, here's a unique thing we offer. Um, but I got so into developing that initial line. I think there were eight kits, um, just everything from like um, designing the instructions booklets. And that kind of like spoke so much to my editorial background. And I really enjoyed that. And actually just designing the projects themselves and sourcing all the materials. And I just was so like kind of activated by that whole new creative process um, and that I decided to step away from the store and just focus on building Hello Bargello. And it it just felt like in all of my years in the industry, it felt like the first time I had hit on something that felt really new. It was like I had mm. always done, you know, these classic crafts like sewing and crochet and knitting. Mm. And it just felt like the first time that I had something like really now I didn't invent Bargello of course but I I feel like I dug it up out of the 
talking about that in the past. And it just felt like the first time I really had something original and new and where I wasn't going to be competing with thousands of other people who were already doing really great sewing blogs and whatever else. Um, so it just felt like a good opportunity, like a really unusual opportunity to really have like touched on something new that felt like it had potential to grow and to like be that, you know, could potentially be built into a new trend. in the Yeah, absolutely. So what were some of the signs? I mean, obviously you were teaching a workshop so you could live interact with people who could try it out and give you some feedback about, you know, their reaction to it. What were some of the signs though, that this was indeed something that could become a trend that you instigated, you know, versus other things like, I guess it's about finding that product market fit, but like, how did you know, I guess? Yeah, I think it was mostly the social media response and probably the people's response who took our workshops. Like it seems like, and this is still true to this day, it seems like everyone who tries Bargello for the first time just gets like extremely um, obsessed with it right away. (laughs) It's like very addictive and fun. And I have this like running joke where someone will like be a new customer and they'll take one of our kits and then they'll come Mm -hmm. back to me or come back into my DMs the next day. And they're like, I stayed up all night doing this. I just bought six more. I have to finish it. Yeah. And then I always say, welcome to the Bargello cult. (laughs) (laughs) You're in now. There's just, there was something about it that seemed to like really capture people like that. Mm. Um, and seeing that our first line of kits were really well received and they sold really well also just kind of gave me an indicator that it was something that was um, worth exploring. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you don't use that needlepoint canvas, though, in these kits. You use, or maybe in most of them, you use plastic canvas. So it sounds like somewhere along the way, you kind of refined or shifted the materials list to be something slightly different from what you started with at Pearl Soho. That's true. Yeah. We do use needlepoint canvas in some of our kits, but um, early on, I, in my first designs, actually, for the the very first ones I was creating in the store, I was struggling with um, working with a needlepoint canvas because it's very challenging to finish. And it it's like a, it's really just made for pillows and for upholstering like footstools and piano benches is really what. Yes, we had a Jello footstool in my house as yes. well as two Bargello pillows that my mom made. Um, exactly. So yes, back in the day. Yeah. That's what it was originally. And also one of the, to your question of how did I know, one of the number one things that people would say when they would take um, my classes early on is I would teach the class on needlepoint canvas and we would make a small piece that you could put in a frame. And the number one thing that people would say to me is like, but what else can you do with it? Like, what else can you make with this technique? Mm-hmm. And it seems like people were really hung up on like, what's going to be the usefulness in the end of this project? And of course, like embroiderers and cross-stitchers make things yes. like, just for the sake of it being decorative. But I was getting that question so much of what else can you do with it that I got really obsessed with like, what other kind of objects can we make? besides pillows or things to put in a frame because I just felt like a little bit of a hard sell for kind of like contemporary audiences. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I was struggling to make other shapes with needlepoint canvas and like not doing so well. My business partner at the time said, why don't you try plastic canvas? And I would not have thought of it. And that like blew it all out in terms of just like all the new things that um, suddenly I could design with it. And um, I think we were the first ones to really show Bargello on plastic canvas. Like it might have been out there a little bit, um, but by using plastic canvas, suddenly we can make all of these other shapes. Because it's um, rigid. 
yeah, it's rigid and it doesn't need to be finished on the edges. It won't right. unravel. So you can just like cut out your shapes and whip stitch them together and mm. create all of these like 3D, you know, bags and um, wallets and sunglass cases and boxes. Like yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. um, Did the yarn itself change or are you still using that same kind of yarn that you used at the start? I'm still using, we use DMC tapestry wool, which is what we've been using from the beginning. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the kit also comes with a needle, an instruction booklet, anything else? Yeah. So our kits come with a printed instruction booklet, um, the yarn, the canvas, needle, any kind of special hardware. Like we have a lot of kind of like notions and hardware that might be part of the finished piece. Um, everything comes in a little zipper bag, like a reusable zipper bag. Um, so everything you need to complete the project. Okay. And yeah. what was the first like bestseller kit? You know what I mean? And I wonder if there's, if it's still the same bestseller, like most places they have that one that like everybody seems to love for whatever reason. Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. I don't know if I've ever, I think it probably would be our songbird pillow, which is the a pillow that was part of our original design, our original line and um, is still going strong. I don't know that it's necessarily our biggest seller ever, but I feel like it's kind of one of our iconic designs and we've released it in, you know, new colorways since then. And um, it's still very beloved. Um, other things have changed. Like in the beginning, wall hangings were one of our most popular types. Mm. And I feel like the wall hangings trend is like slowing down yeah. a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, now, I think our biggest sellers are probably our small accessories like wallets, sunglass cases, little change purses, just like fun little things to throw in your bag. People always seem to love those. And do you feel like this is something that kids can do? Because I could see people being like, oh, I'll get it for kids. Is that appropriate or is this for teens, tweens or just adults? So kids definitely can do it. Um, I feel like most of our projects are not necessarily kid um, appealing to kids, but um, we do have one kids kit that is um, a little a cute little rainbow wall hanging. Um, kids can absolutely do it sort of skill wise. Um, my kids, Bargello for sure, they're eight. Um, so, you know, with help, of course. So I know some kids do, but we don't necessarily have a lot of kids products, but we do have something in the works for next year. So, okay. yeah. So stay tuned. Stay, stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So how many kits, I know before we started recording, you were saying you usually release two new designs a month, which is mm -hmm. a lot to actually design and get all the yeah. materials for and design the um, the booklet. And I mean, it, it's actually, that's actually very ambitious, but how many designs about do you have out now? And have you retired some over the course of, of the period that you've been in business? Mm -hmm. That is a great question. Um, I mean, we have well over 50 designs on our website. Wow. I actually haven't counted um, maybe even 70. I haven't um, all of 2023, we did release two products per month. But in previous years, I didn't necessarily achieve that pace. So it's definitely been like a ramp up to just kind of getting to that pace just by hiring help and kind of like building the business because it is a lot. And I definitely, in the earlier years when it was just me, I couldn't execute that pace. Um, but now we have, yeah, well over 50 designs. Um, we don't retire a lot of them. I would say we tend to reboot them. Like I have some older ones that, um, mostly our pattern 
writing has improved so much mm -hmm. or evolved over the years that some of our old patterns don't feel up to snuff to me. So a lot of times we'll kind of go back, redesign um, the pattern booklet and like roll out some new colors or possibly update the shape. Um, I feel like I've also just kind of gotten better at just designing, I guess, you know, and like mm -hmm. sometimes I look back and see things that can be improved. Um, and sometimes we retire kits, but then the pattern still exists as a digital download on our website. Okay. So people yeah. can, can people buy just the digital pattern yes. if they've already got the materials at home or they want to source their own stuff? Okay. Yes. Yep. All right. And recently, am I right that you've also gotten into subscription boxes? Yes, we have a subscription box. It's called Bargello Box. It's actually been out for two years. It's quarterly. And um, that's been really great. That's been a really um, impactful way that I've grown the business. And it um, every box includes a complete project and everything you need to make it. And also like some little goodies, like either notions or little gifts that are Bargello themed. Um you know, anything from um, scissors and keychains to um, all I can think of is what's in the next box, which is is hasn't been announced yet. I can't, <laughs> think any, I can't think of any examples that aren't a secret, but you know. And are the patterns, are the patterns in those new or are they new, from yes. the library? They're new. Yeah. So it's yeah. all new. It's always okay. an original, yeah, a, an original exclusive um, design that you can only and get if you're a subscriber. Okay. All right. Yeah. And when you say that it really helped to grow the business, why do you feel like having a quarterly subscription box had that impact? Well, I was worried in the beginning that it might cannibalize our other sales. Um, and But it did not. And we really um, have a pretty healthy subscriber base. And it's just been a great revenue stream. And it's really kind of magical to me that I can out on that revenue quarterly. And it's different than mm -hmm. our other releases where each time you drop a new product, you don't really know how it's going to do. And this is just sort of guaranteed sales. And we still have to put all the work into developing it and fulfilling it. But we're kind of guaranteed to get that sales burst every quarter. And um, that's, you know, just really helped to increase our revenue overall. And um and happily, it hasn't cannibalized anything. I think it's just helped to like bring in more customers yeah. and build our customer base. So um, it's just been a great product to add on to to our other a la carte offerings. And is this e-commerce site built on Shopify? Yeah, we're on Shopify. Okay. And so you're using a Shopify subscription plugin for the subscription box. Yes, exactly. Okay. All right. Yeah. Cool. And have you, you've been happy with that. Are you on Etsy at all? Were you on Etsy? Um, I have never been on Etsy, but we actually are just going to experiment with um, doing digital patterns only on Etsy, just okay. to sort of capture anyone who might be there searching for Bargello, make sure that they find us and right. learn about us. And really, the goal will just be to um, capture people who are searching on Etsy yeah. and make them find us and drive them over to our site to start right. buying kits. Using Etsy as lead gen, absolutely. Yes, and I think exactly. it's smart because they've got such a huge, you know, it's one of the four largest marketplaces in the United States. So why not be there? And especially with digital where you're not fulfilling anything and try to convert those people to your own customers. To me, that's worth the Etsy fees. Like yes. that's what, that's a good use of Etsy fees. <laughs> yes. So, um, I'm, you know, you're still in New York City. Spaces are small. Rent is high. So where is, I can't imagine you're fulfilling 
all of these kits and subscription boxes out of your apartment. So where, or well, maybe you are, but tell me where, where is the saw headquartered? <laughs> so we actually moved 30 miles north of the city three years okay. ago. So I'm not inside the city anymore. But when I launched Hello Bargello, I did rent a studio space in a commercial building. And so I had a very small little office there with um, all the inventory and I was fulfilling all the orders out of there. I had one part-time employee, but mostly I was doing everything myself. Um, when we moved, we had been living in apartments forever. And so the thought of having a house just felt like all the space in the world. So I decided to have my office just be in my home. So we renovated the downstairs of the house for it to be a home office. And I was there for about two years. And um, I finally admitted I didn't really like having a home-based product business because um, it was just it was just a lot in and out of the house. Like I was, I get, you know, giant shipments of things from China and then they're being like dropped on my driveway. And then we had to schlep them into the basement. And then I would, you know, tackle my hundreds of Bargello boxes and carry them up and put them in the garage. And then the mailman hated me because we were a residential house. And even though we had every right to ship packages out of there we weren't like violating any like zoning laws they didn't want to cooperate with us and it was just always a lot of headaches and it just made my house feel more chaotic and I realized I just was craving more separation and so um I decided to rent a office nearby the house and I also was really um starting to feel antsy about wanting to grow the business a lot more and just really kind of push it more and it felt like the first time since my kids were born and then when they were five was when COVID hit. And I felt like between like making it to age five and then immediately going into COVID, it kind of felt like the first time in eight years that I, I had the bandwidth to really push and try to grow. So I just wanted kind of space to do that. So I moved to an office and hired two employees this year. So that's been kind of a big change from um, the home office. And it really has allowed us to grow a lot as well. It's just sort of mm. a having the... Um, creating the space for it, a lot of to happen for sure. Right. Sometimes that's what you need. First, yeah. the space has to come and then the growth can come. Yeah. And what happened? I mean, kits during COVID did really well because mm -hmm. everything's included. It's all in one space. Everybody's home. All the parties they were supposed to go to and concerts and things like that are canceled. So they're home and they want to do something that feels productive and meditative. And so crap kits really took off. I don't know if that was what you experienced. Yes, we were very busy during COVID. Um, when COVID hit, we still lived in Brooklyn. And um, I would, my employees, my employee was not coming in anymore because of the like, you know, very strict shutdown early on. And so um, I would just, I could walk to my studio, thankfully, it was like seven minutes from my apartment. Um, and my husband his office shut down as well, of course. And so we we're just all cooped up in our little apartment. Basically, my husband and I used my studio. We would trade off of working. Like he would go there and with his computer and sit and get some work done for however many hours of the day. And I'd be with home with the kids. And then we would trade and I would go and ship orders. Mm. And it was like, I mean, we were like a 20 hour a day shift. And that was like our space that we could each mm -hmm. have quiet to work and just, and I'm so thankful that we had that private space that we the shutdown didn't affect us being able to walk over there and go be in that room alone and so mm -hmm. I would go over there like all hours packing my orders just to get them out it was really busy and crazy but um I also feel like it kept me it really 
helped me mentally to just like power through that year because it was just like really kept me like focused and, um, you know, just in constant like got to get it done mode. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm really thankful I had that and that it wasn't just cooped up with my twin five-year-olds. Yeah, no, that was really good timing. So what is next for Hello Barjello? I I mean, I would love maybe before we get to that question, let me ask about social media because you, you know, we talked about all the things you did prior to social media, um, but you are awesome on social media. A couple of things. One thing is like all the colors are cohesive and match and are immediately recognizable as your brand. That strikes me. Another thing is your nails are all always awesome. <laughs> um, I just got a manicure and I was like, you know, Brett's nails are always beautiful <laughs> in these videos, which is important. And I mean, you know, when you're doing fine work up close, that's crafty related, everybody looks at your nails. So, yeah. but you always have like a matching manicure. Anyway, if you can talk a little bit about the Instagram strategy, what you put into it, and you do a lot of video too. Like you said, you were mm-hmm. comfortable on video. We often see your face. We often hear your voice. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. I, that means a lot because we do put a lot of work into it. Um, I think, you know, it's, I think a lot of it goes back to like my editorial background in a way. Um, the colors, you know, it's so funny how sometimes, um, limitations create good branding because I really only have this one blue mm-hmm. backdrop <laughs> that I use for literally everything. Um, but like, now that has created created a cohesive feed because everything is always on that blue. Yeah. Um, the nails, you know, it's funny because when I had the store, there was like this really cute nail salon down the street and my business partner and I would go for manicures and they happened to do really good nail art there. And so we both kind of started playing. I had never gotten nail art in my life and we started playing with it like just for fun. Like we would, you know, go on our lunch break and, you know, compare nails but I noticed that whenever I had cute nails on Instagram, we would get way better engagement. And so interesting. I absolutely do the nail. I only do the nails for the Instagram. Like it's 1000% a business move that I have my nails done all the time. And sometimes I feel silly because like I'm not like I don't dress, you know, super fancy or creative. Typically, like I love to just wear like jeans and a black top is my favorite. Like I'm not I'm not like a... I don't know. I'm not just all dressed up, but I always have these wild nail- nails and I feel like people must think like, what's up with this crazy lady who has these wacky nails all the time? Which you have right now. Like I can see them while you're talking. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Like I sometimes feel like they don't ra- match the rest of me, but it is absolutely <laughs> a business move and it works 1000%. Like it has not, the power of the nails has not worn off. Like they are so good for engagement online. Um, and it's, they do tend to always match my stuff. And it that's kind of accidental. I don't I don't even necessarily do it on purpose, but it's clearly just like whatever colors are in my brain come mm-hmm. out and whatever designs I'm working on, and then they come out in the nails. So aside from that, my social media strategy, like I try to follow, um, I try to follow and emulate other accounts. I, you know, I mm-hmm. follow like some big accounts that aren't crafting accounts, but I just kind of try to um, pay attention to what other people are doing. And I think showing up, Uh, with your face is important and just, Mm -hmm. you know, having that personal connection. I feel like we have a really good customer base, like very positive, kind customers. We get very few cranky customer problems. And Mm -hmm. I feel like people really know me. Like a lot of times when they email in for customer service, they'll say, hi, Brett, and, you know, like Mm -hmm. really act like they're talking to me. And I feel like that, um, you know, causes them to just be a lot kinder and they know that they're 
there's real people here. Even if they have a problem, they, you know, they initiate it in a kind way. And I feel like it really does help to like create like a human culture where people mm-hmm. know that we are humans here. We're just a tiny business. And um, and I think it helps for business growth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, here we go. You can expense your manicures. This is a good thing I to do. know, people. I absolutely <laughs> do. And my accountant have fully uh, approves. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. <laughs> That's a business expense for sure. Um, all right. So back to my question earlier, which is what's next for Hello Bargello? Do you have plans, growth plans, or just keep steady or any any exciting things we should know about on the horizon? And it sounds like there's a kid something coming. There is a kid something coming. Um, so what's next is I am really pushing to grow the business. Like I really, um, it's really my goal to treat it like any other business that's not a craft business. Sometimes I feel like craft businesses have a tendency to treat themselves too small. Yeah. And that I also have been guilty of that in the past. And I'm really in an era of trying to make sure I'm not doing that and really um, pushing just to build a successful contemporary business, e-commerce business. And so I really work to like learn about e-commerce. And I've hired a digital marketing consultant who has been like extremely helpful. And I'm so glad I invested in that. Um, and it's really my goal to to just grow the business a lot next year and in volume overall. We actually doubled this year, which was really exciting. Wow. And I want to, I don't know if we'll double again next year, but I do have another um, really robust kids product that's launching next year that I haven't talked about yet, but it's a big, um, it's a very big endeavor that will definitely just be a lot more volume for us to manage. Mm. So that's going to be our big goal for this coming year. And you're only direct to consumer. Are you going to do wholesale or no? We're only direct to consumer. And I, I tried wholesale once very early on and it didn't go great. I found that, um, it's hard to make the margins work. It's just like such a drastic difference that, and since so much of our kits are, um, we are purchasing the the components that go into the kits, it's hard to get mm-hmm. the prices low enough to offer wholesale pricing and still have it be profitable enough for it to be worth it for us. Um, and I also found that um, things didn't necessarily sell so great wholesale. We weren't getting a lot of reorders. And my theory for that is that the customers need that kind of education component that comes from discovering us online and mm-hmm. seeing our videos and kind of seeing how like uh, visually exciting it is and how quick and satisfying it can be. And that if you're just like seeing the kit on a shelf without kind of entering right. through that portal, that I think that something's being lost in translation. Um, so since they didn't do that well and we didn't make money off of them in the first place, I kind of discontinued wholesale. But I definitely think about um, trying to bring it back in a different way that it could work better now that we, you know, we know a lot now that we didn't know then. But um, so, yeah, that's the that's the tricky thing. Do you have a Facebook group or a community aspect of this? We have a Facebook group for our subscription box. Um, okay. But we do not have just a general Bargello group. We probably mm-hmm. should. That's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> I think it would do well. I was just thinking about the rubles, which um, yeah. is not super different, but like crochet kits. And um, they have a Facebook group and they've got raving fans in there. But I feel like, um, yeah, people need that, as you said, contact point and um, support and community feeling. 
mm-hmm. um, connection with the owner. I don't know, just the, all of it, right? And yeah. it kind of all yeah. can be um, furthered, right? When they're in community together and then yeah. feeling like, oh, I want to buy that one and do that one too. And you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. That's a good idea. I actually have strug- <laughs> struggled with like figuring out how to create more community because I feel like it's kind of tricky right now with the current platforms. Like, cause not it everyone is. is a Facebook, not everyone is a Facebook person Mm-mm. and Instagram's not good for no. that. And, um, it is kind of, hard there's to- not an ideal, there's not yeah. an ideal solution, but yeah. I, I'm always looking to find one. So yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe <laughs> something new will pop up. You never know. So, all right. I want to make sure we get to your, um, recommendations cause you've got some good ones. So you signed up for a stained glass course. And I think this is so smart because I just signed up for a basket weaving course because I feel like you got to try new stuff. Totally. Yes. I, I'm excited about this because I have been thinking about doing stained glass. My grandma did stained glass back in the day. And I think about it sometimes and it's like coming back as a trend now. And I see it on Instagram and I like, I'm dying to try it. So um, rather than just like buy all the stuff and have it in my basement, I decided mm-hmm. to try a class. And I also love, like, it helps me a lot to have that time carved out because otherwise yeah. I just never get around to it. So, um, yeah, my class starts right after the holidays. So I'm excited nice. during the winter doldrums to go. Right. To- yeah. Yeah, I, exactly. That, 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 the structure of doing it in a class is very smart. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's great. And then one of your favorite podcasts for people into true crime is called Bear Brook. I have not listened to this. Do you like true crime? Um, a little. I've listened to the few that I've yeah. enjoyed. Um, I can't say it's my favorite genre. Yes, totally get it. Yeah, it's. I feel like it either is or it isn't. But this one, I just love it. I feel like anyone who, like, if you have to go on a long drive or if you're working on a long mm-hmm. project, I always recommend this one to people who, like, are looking for something new. It's just this fascinating. It's kind of like a one. It's like a series and then it's over. It's not just mm-hmm. an ongoing. Right. And um, it just tells the story of these bodies that were discovered. And, like, decades later, they solved these murders that had just been such an utter mystery. And they were solved through, like, familial DNA and also... Um, citizen sleuthing, like the people Mm -hmm. who take the DNA results and weed through like literally 50,000 possible results and kind of do the detective work and they solved this mystery. And it's more of a science-y, it's it's fascinating from a science-y standpoint. It's not like a gruesome Mm -hmm. crime story. It's more of like, okay, yeah, love it. And then I might like it more. That sounds good. Okay. And then you've been exploring crops with your daughters who are both eight now. Um, so you've been doing all kinds of different things like soap making, candle making, resin molding, 3D printing, and all sorts of things like that, which is great. Like I love being a crafty mom and um my kids have fond memories of like um doing, I mean, felting, paper mache. <laughs> we did everything. like everything. And my 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 son said to me the other day, he's like, we just did those things because that's what you wanted to do. You're like, like, yeah, of course. I was going to keep you guys busy. And I'm like, how about we make a paper mache project now? <laughs> Absolutely. I like. I think this is the only reason I had kids was so that we could do crafts. <laughs> right. <laughs> but they finally, like, just gotten big enough to where they really can do stuff and it's not just chaos. Um, and so we're really, like, getting into some new things I had never done with the candle mm-hmm. making. and Yeah. Um, resin pouring so that's just been kind of one adventure after another and we actually my what was my office at home we're turning into just like epic craft room so good idea yes i'm so excited about it yeah no it's great 
Yeah, you can do um, bath bombs. We love bath bombs. I never made those before, but like, yeah, it's it's fun. I mean, honestly, I love it. Yeah, plus, <laughs> like in the kitchen too, we made cheese. We loved <laughs> yeah it's fun anyway that is i agree with you that is one of the reasons to have kids so <laughs> well, but but anyway. i feel like before this it was just like everything made a giant mess and i would just get yes stressed out. well that still happens and it's yeah. still stressful but you're like oh my god there's paint on that like oh stop yeah, but yeah, yeah yeah it's okay you just have to let it go at a certain point <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, Brett, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much. This is really fun. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's episode was brought to you by Craftsy, calling all crafters. Are you ready to dive deep into your favorite crafting projects and learn new techniques along the way? Then it's time to join Craftsy Premium Membership. For only $1.49, you'll receive a full year of access to expert-led tutorials, patterns, and projects in every category you can imagine. With a massive library of resources at your fingertips, you'll be able to create your best work yet and bring your crafting dreams to life. Don't wait. Sign up at CraftsyOffers.com and discover the endless possibilities of Craftsy Premium Membership. Thank you so much, Craftsy. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. When you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I will see you next time.